Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. We've been looking at this series called Jesus According to Matthew. Jesus According to Matthew. So we're going to look at Matthew 17 if you've got your Bibles. On Thursday night, here on this platform, we had our nursery leavers graduation. So they're the little kids, they're about five, and uh, they're going to big schools. So we had about 150 people in here, parents, grandparents, and we had a great little send-off for these little tykes. And at the end of the service, I was saying goodbye to people, and a lady came up to me, and she, she was angry. She was a lovely lady, but she was angry. And she looked at me, and she said, I'm a militant atheist, and I can't believe you forced the children to pray in the service. And she said, I wasn't expecting this. The very, my wife actually talked to her and calmed her down, did a brilliant job, much more gracious than I was. And the very next person I spoke to was a mom, not from our church, but she said this. She said, every night I pray with my children. And so to know that you pray with them in your nursery is so fantastic. Then she said, I wasn't expecting this tonight. The great theologian, Forrest Gump, <laughs> said, my mama always said, life is like a, put it in the chat. You never know what you're going to get. In other words, I wasn't expecting that. How many of you can think of a time in your Christian life when you thought, I wasn't expecting that? Sometimes when you read the Bible, you, you read stories, you think, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Matthew 17 is one of those passages. It's an amazing story. Let's read from verse 1. It says, Now after six days. How many days? Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and they were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them 
and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. How do we understand this passage? First, we need to look at the background. We have four stories about the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and And each one of them is like a different lens, highlights a different color or a different facet of who Jesus was. See, Jesus is like a diamond. The diamond has many facets and faces and captures the light. And when the light shines on it, you see a different perspective. And each of the gospels shines a different light on who Jesus is so we can see him in all his perfection. And Matthew's gospel is a very Jewish gospel. You say, how do you know that? Because Matthew uses very complicated Jewish terms to do with feasts and festivals. And he doesn't bother to explain them because he expects and assumes all of his hearers to understand. Whereas Luke's gospel, which is very Gentile focused, he'll explain those technical terms. Matthew constantly appeals to the Old Testament and shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. So when Matthew writes his gospel, he's writing it through this lens. So for example, in Matthew 2, Jesus goes as a baby into exile, into which country? Egypt. In Matthew 3, he's baptized in the Jordan, which is a picture of the Red Sea. In Matthew 4, he goes out of the water and where? Into the wilderness. For how many days? 40. How many days was Israel in the wilderness? What happens next? Jesus goes up to a high mountain and delivers the great sermon. Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Like Moses delivered the law from the top mountain. And then from chapters 8 through to 16, Jesus calls the 12, 12 disciples to represent 12 tribes. And they go out and he does miracles and signs and wonders. And then in Matthew 16, he turns to them and he says, Boys, who do people say that I am? And Peter, who loves Peter? For once, he gets it right. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You've got to love this. See, Peter's normally the guy first to put his hand up in class, and he always gets it wrong. Come on, were any of you that person? Peter's constantly putting his foot in it. But for once, he gets it right. And Jesus turns to him and says, you're blessed, Peter. And I picture Peter's head coming up and his chest filling out. And he's like, this is it. Then the very next verse, Matthew 16, 21 says, from that time, because something changed. Once they understood who he was, that he was the one that they'd been waiting for. For a thousand years, they'd waited for this Messiah to come. They believed he'd be the one that would drive out the Roman oppressors and establish God's kingdom in the holy city, starting in Jerusalem. And now they're thinking, this is it. 
And Jesus said from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and pause it there. We expect him to say, go to Jerusalem and drive out the Romans. Go to Jerusalem and establish the kingdom. Is that what he says? He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer. Not only suffer, but suffer many things. And the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed, be raised on the third day. Peter's like, I wasn't expecting this. I thought there was going to be a crown. You're telling me there's a cross? And so it says in verse 22, he's Peter, being Peter. Peter took him aside. Gives him a written warning. One minute he's like, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living. The next... Come on, Jesus, I need to correct you. That's what he tries to do. How does Jesus respond? He turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. It's not very encouraging online, is it? Don't try this at home. I bet Peter wasn't expecting that. You see, Jesus knows there is a crown, but first... There's got to be a cross. Having figured out who Jesus is, now Jesus turns to the disciples and said, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. Verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, not only am I going to suffer, but if you're serious about following me, so are you. Yes, I'll give you a crown, but first, there's a cross. Truth is, we all want the crown. We don't want the cross. Maybe you're new to church or you're online and you think, wow. I wasn't expecting this. I mean, this is soul church. It's full of life. And this is Freedom Day. And we're pumped about that. I wasn't expecting this. When I was 15 years old, I'd become a Christian at 13 here in Norwich. And man, God did some amazing things in my life. He absolutely transformed me at that camp. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. My dad told me about how my brother had been miraculously healed as a little boy of viral meningitis he was given 24 hours to live and Jesus appeared and healed my brother so I'm like God's man of faith and power and growing up I'd always been very close to my mum growing up she'd had a series of major back operations started with a slip disc when she was nursing gradually deteriorated over many years on her fourth major operation they severed her spinal cord and afterward the surgeon said you'll never walk again she wasn't expecting that I remember one night I was 15 years of age 
Middle of the night, I woke up about two o'clock. I needed the toilet. So I'm like in the old farmhouse. I'm, I'm trying to not step on the creaky bits, trying to quietly go to the toilet. But to get to the toilet, I had to go past my mum and dad's room and the bedroom door had been left slightly ajar. And I could hear this sound which sounded like somebody crying. And so I put my head in and there I saw my beautiful mum. Pain etched across her face, eyes red with the crying all night long. Like any good parent, she tried to hide it from us. But night after night, she couldn't bear even the weight of a single bedsheet on her back. It was so tender. And I remember that first glimpse of the pain she was in. And I went back into my bedroom. I sunk my head into the pillow. And from deep down, I cried. Because I wasn't expecting this and some of you have been through things this week this month if you're honest you weren't expecting this and when we go through these seasons of pain and unexpected sufferings it does three things to us number one it causes us to doubt theologically God why I thought you were meant to be all powerful you did it for my brother. Why don't you do it for her? Number two, it hurts us emotionally. How many know that sometimes when it's someone you love, those of you online, when it's someone you love, you'd rather take the pain for them. It seems to hurt even more. Number three, it shakes us spiritually. You know what? It affects your theology, it affects your mind, but when you're shaken spiritually, it it affects your heart. It's personal. And I remember lying in that bed saying, Jesus, why don't you heal her? Don't you love her? Pain causes you to doubt theologically, hurt emotionally, and it shakes you spiritually. I'm going to test you later on to see if you remember those three. That's the background to Matthew 17. That's the backstory. So let's now look. Keep smiling. Just get better from here. Matthew 17, verse 1. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother. He led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared. Remember I said that as you study Matthew's gospel, he sees through a Jewish lens. And right now he's pointing us back to a story in the Old Testament. Did you pick up the clues? Here they are. Six days, high mountain, Moses, face shone. What story is he talking about, pointing to? Exodus 24, 16, when Moses stood on the mountain before receiving the Lord. It says, Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for how long? And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Six days, mountain, God speaking, face shone. Getting back to that mountain of transfiguration. And it says, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, the two great pillars of Judaism. Both men met God on a mountain. 
And the three of them start talking. Who is Moses and Elijah talking to, by the way? They're talking to Jesus. The three of them are having a conversation. Look what happens, verse 4. I love this. It says, then Peter answered. You ever notice that? What do you mean Peter answered? Nobody was talking to Peter. Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah, but Peter butts in. And says, Jesus, why don't I build three tabernacles? One for you, one for Moses, one for for Elijah. And I'm like, oh, Peter, what are you doing? No one's talking to Peter, yet he answers. When you're in a season of pain, be very careful of listening to people when they're giving their opinions, when no one's asking for it. I remember overhearing a very well-meaning lady in my mom's bedroom. Asking my mom why she hadn't been healed. And here's what she said to my mom. It's because you don't have enough faith. My mom nearly left the church. But there's one thing worse, and that's when people say this. Well, there must be sin in your life. Don't ever say those things. People can be very spiritual, but it doesn't mean they get everything right. People don't always see see things as they are. They see things as they are. Some of you, the most painful things that have been spoken over your life said nothing about you, but everything about the person that said them. Verse 5, it says, while he, that's Peter, was still speaking. I love this. Peter's still jabbering away, giving his opinion on that nobody's invited. It says, while Peter was still speaking, behold. Whenever you see the word behold in the Bible, get ready because something spectacular is about to happen. So while Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright light overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud. I love this. Peter is given his little theology and God says, I've had enough of that. Bang, there's some glory. And then God's voice speaks out of the cloud. What's the best way to deal with human opinion? Don't allow it to play on the soundtrack of your soul. There's another voice. Listen to the voice in the cloud. Whose voice do you listen to when you weren't expecting it? Can you imagine the disciples watching this on that mountain? It says, while he was still speaking, a bright light overshadowed them and a bright cloud overshadowed them. Remember, the cloud speaks of God's presence, God's holy Shekinah glory. And his voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Who do you listen to? Who do you go to when something happens in your life? Hear him. Hear God speak to you. Just as he did on Mount Sinai, God himself appears in his glory. You say, Steve, what is God's glory? Maybe you're new to church. You think, what's God's glory? Two things. Number one, God's glory is a place of revelation. When God pulls back the veil of the mystery of who he is and he allows us to see the very essence of his character and his nature. So what do we see when God speaks 
The father says this, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. By the way, this isn't the first time God says this in Matthew. Can anyone remember the first time God said, this is my beloved son with him I'm well pleased? Anyone remember? It was in the baptism in Matthew 3. That tells me something. It's not enough to encounter and hear God once in your life. You've got to keep encountering, keep meeting him. I met God in that camp in Norwich, but thank God it wasn't a one-off. Year after year, I kept going back. There's something about coming away from the streets and getting up onto the mountain. Parents, do whatever you need to do to get your kids to the mountain so they can experience and encounter the voice of God and the presence of God. Keep encountering him. So a second time God speaks. Why twice? The first time was when Jesus was baptized. His ministry hadn't even begun. Do you know that? Hadn't, Richard hadn't sent out a soul foundation van, hadn't preached a sermon, hadn't helped anyone. Jesus' ministry hadn't even started. And yet the father said, this is my son whom I love. What does that tell you? You don't have to deserve God's love. You can't earn God's love. You can't merit God's love. You're not loved because you are good. You are loved because God is good. God loves every one of you from the front to the back with an eternal, unconditional love. You're my beloved. But now, three years later, Jesus has been going around, he has been ministering, but he's just broken the news that he's about to go to the cross to be obedient to his Father's will. And so for a second time, the Father says, this is my beloved Son. Why is it different? The first was a declaration of the Father's unconditional love for the Son, but the second, was the son's declaration of his unconditional love for the father. Jesus just publicly declared he's willing to lay down his crown to endure a cross. It's an act of love back to the same father that loves him unconditionally. And it gives him glory. The son gives glory to the father by going to the cross because God is love. You want to see perfect love? You don't look at posh and becks. You look at the Father and the Son. One of the things that brings God glory, those of you listening online, those of you in the room, is when you become like Jesus. When something happens and you say, I wasn't expecting this. When you're faced with the pain and the suffering that life brings, but it doesn't knock you off course. It might knock you back, but it doesn't knock you out. And you say, God, yes, I'm, I'm loving the day that I get the crown, but for now, I'm willing to go to the cross and I'm going to keep loving you because you first love me. You know, that gives God glory. Over there this morning, we had Margaret Hussey. 
Married for 60 years. In the middle of COVID, at the start of it actually, she lost her husband, David, of 60 years. She couldn't even go into the hospital to say goodbye. Thank God she's kept coming back to church, kept worshiping Jesus. And let me tell you what she's done through her life. She's given him glory. I told him about you in the first service, Dick, and I promised I'd do it again. This guy over here, Dick, has followed Jesus for how many years? Come on, Dick, quick, roughly. 40 years. Told a couple of years ago that he'd have to lose his leg. He's been in pain for years. But what I love about Dick is every weekend he's over there. He's served on our board. He keeps loving Jesus, even though he's bearing a cross right now. And I could walk throughout our church and tell you about the people who've kept loving him unconditionally. God wants you to know, Dick, you're his beloved. He loves you. With you, he's well pleased. And when you go through things like others have where your spouse has walked out on you, and you're still in church and you still love Jesus. I'm in a family this week. Their son has got very specific needs, very serious, but they still bring their kids to the house of God. They're full-time carers for him. Do you know what? There's something about that that gives God glory. You know, you can't live this life in your own strength. You do know that, don't you? So you say, Steve, how do I do it? Where do I get this strength? Number one, God's glory is a place of revelation. Number two, God's glory is a place of transformation. I love this. Everyone say transformation. Write it in the chat online. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, And we all, with unveiled faces. Now we're starting to see God's glory. It says beholding, there's that word again. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. You know, discipleship doesn't happen in a day. It happens over decades. You look at his glory and it changes you. Beholding, we believe, but beholding, we become. If you want to become more like Jesus, don't just believe in him. You've got to behold him. And I love that Jesus who of course is God and he always stands in your future. And he knows what's ahead for James and Peter and John. He knows there's suffering and there's pain. And so he decides, I'm going to give them a fresh revelation of who I am so they can see my glory. Because when they're going to need it, that's what's going to strengthen them. Because they're going to realize who I really am, that I'm the source of their power. And so he takes them on the mountain and he pulls back the curtain and they see Jesus for who he really is. Have you ever noticed how when God reveals something new to you. Almost the very next week, you get smashed. 
Thank God he was graciously already seeing what was going to happen to you. So he gave you another glimpse of his glory to sustain you through what lay ahead of you. It's a place of transformation. In a spiritual classic, a book, The Life of God in the Soul of Man, Henry Skugel makes this powerful comment. You'll see it on the screen. He says this, The worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the objects of his love. The worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. I looked at that for a few times, thought, what the heck does that mean? Is it all right if I unpack it? You measure your height in meters, your weight in stones, and there's too many of them for me, but your soul by the object of its love. I'll give you an example. One person I knew who had an excellent soul was my dad. How do I know that? By the object of his love. My dad loved pretty much everyone and everything. He loved the cows on the farm. He loved animals. He loved his kids. There's never one second of my life where I doubted whether my dad loved me. I just knew. He loved my mom, married for 49 years. He died just before their 50th wedding anniversary. He always put his family first, always give all of his money away to them. He loved his church, the same church, for 49, church, 49 years, never left it, never missed a Sunday. He loved people. Some of the naughtiest kids in Britain were brought to a place called the Newton Aycliffe Center for Children. It was 500 yards from our house. There's only a handful of people were allowed to visit and mentor them. One of them was my dad. The boys who, one of the boys who killed Jamie Bulger went to that Newton Aycliffe Center for Children. These are hardcore kids. I was brought up meeting these kids. I remember... One little kid, he introduced himself. He says, hello, Steve, my name's William, and I bite people. That's what he did. He just bit you spontaneously. Very disturbed, damaged people. But my dad loved them for decades. My da dad loved blind Tommy, who nobody else visited. For decades, every Saturday morning, my dad would go and meet him. So how can you live a life like that? Where you just love the excellent and the worth of your soul is measured by the object of its love. Let me tell you his secret. Who loves a secret source? Superpower. Can I tell you what it is? He loved Jesus. He loved this word. This is one of my dad's Bibles. He never wrote in it, but he read it. There's about four that are like this, just worn out with reading. And every day that I can ever remember, I'd wake up and my dad would be on the front room reading the Bible from 5 a.m. till 8 a.m. every day without fail. He never watched the TV except the God Channel and Pat Robertson. Never watched movies. Never watched Instagram. You see... Beholding, you become. If you want to become like Jesus, you've got to behold him. This is why reading your Bible is so important. At the back of my dad's Bible, 
found these. These are some of his favorite quotes. Can I give you two? Devotion before emotion. I like that. But this morning as I was about to walk out, I saw another one. It said, don't follow the crowd. Follow the cloud. Don't follow the crowd. Follow the crowd. Listen to his voice. When life's tsunamis hit our family, my dad just kept going. Why? Because he was in tune with the cloud. He knew the presence of God and he knew the voice of God. Can you remember I said there were three things that pain and suffering caused? Do you remember them? They cause you to doubt theologically, hurt emotionally. They shake you spiritually. How does Jesus respond to these disciples? He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Make a note of that. They fell on their faces. They were greatly afraid. Jesus came and he touched them. Rise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. When you doubt, hear him. He speaks to you theologically, corrects your thinking. When you hurt, he touches you emotionally. When you're shaken spiritually, he strips everything away till you see no one but Jesus only. He reveals himself personally. You'll meet Jesus in your darkest hours in such a new and a profound way. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment. We're going to turn this service into a mountain. We're going to worship Jesus. Team sang some beautiful songs earlier. I'm going to invite you just to stand for a moment. Come on, all stand. I want you to forget about whatever's going on in your world right now and close your eyes. Why don't you lift up your hands and we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to put Jesus at the center of it all. My prayer is that he'll speak to you. His presence would envelop you and you'll see Jesus only. Come on, let's worship together and then Rachel's going to come. Jesus at the center of it Jesus, Jesus, we speak your name right now into every soul. We speak your name, Jesus, into every family. We speak your name, Jesus, into every concern from the youngest to the oldest. We speak your name, Jesus, into every hospital room. We speak your name, Jesus, into every marriage. We speak your name, Jesus, into every downcast or disappointed or grieving soul. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. You are the one that sees the end from the beginning. Thank you, Jesus. We look to you. Change our perspective. May we see as you see. Touch our hearts right now. Speak into our lives.
thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Just speak Jesus. Can you speak his name? Say his name, Jesus. 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 Incredible sense of his presence. And as Steve brought that amazing message that just builds around the person of who Jesus is, regardless of our perception, regardless of our experience. We see Jesus as the one who brings hope and life. And He's a personal God, as Steve talked about. And I want to speak to those of us, those of you in the room that haven't yet had a personal encounter. See, Peter and the disciples encountered Jesus at that moment on a mountain many years ago. But you can encounter the glory, the the person, the revelation, the essence, the actual personhood of Jesus right here, right now. It doesn't take an incredible, uh, out there, transcending moment. It can be very normal, but it can be very, very powerful. And right now it's a holy moment because I believe there's going to be hearts responding to a Jesus that is reaching out His arms of love to you. You might have come by yourself this morning. You might have come with a friend. You might have come in here and it's not what you expected. You might have, have been coming for a long time, but you've not yet take the step to say yes to Jesus. When you're saying yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to all that He died on the cross to give us. You're saying yes to forgiveness of your sin. You're saying yes to healing of those hurts and wounds. You're saying yes to I want to go your way. You're saying yes to I want friendship with Jesus. You're saying yes to purpose and meaning that only comes through Jesus. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the one that brings meaning, I am the one that brings perspective. No man or woman can come to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus said, I'll connect you to a holy God. And He wants to be your greatest friend and the Lord of your life. And you know, the good news gets even better. He also wants to give you hope beyond the grave. He will be with you every day of your life and He will strengthen you to endure to overcome, to give you life, abundant life, the Bible says, but He will give you life, eternal life. Can I ask that every head be bowed and every eye closed and maybe Jesus has not been clear for you. And right now you're gonna take a step of faith that will just be saying a simple but very powerful prayer together as a family, as a church family. They're saying, Yes, I want to invite you into my heart and life. I did this as a young girl many years ago, and many of you have since, that says, Jesus, I acknowledge my need for you. I don't want to go another day in this life with the complexities of this life, the complexities of humanity, my own complex emotions. I need you, Jesus, to bring clarity, to see you clearly. A Jesus that loves you. He's reaching out His arms of love right now. Whether you feel worthy or not, He loves you as you are. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good He is. And I'm extending this opportunity. And if you'd like to join with us in a prayer, I'm going to say a prayer. And I'd love as many of you as possible to join with me. And just so I know who to include in this prayer, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand after three all across this room from the front to the back, either for the first time or maybe you've walked away from God and you've, you used to serve Jesus, but it's become murky. 
it's not clear anymore. You've got cold in your heart. You've kind of walked away. You've got disappointed. You've taken your eyes off Jesus. Life happened that you didn't expect, but he's saying, come back to the God that you can expect, you can trust. So if that's you, young person, older person, young man, older man, young woman, maybe couples together, if that's you, I want you to shoot your hand up after three. While every head is bowed, I wanna know who I'm including in this prayer. Just before we close, after three, one. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. It's your time. Two, three, all across this room. That's it. Put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you down there. Thank you at the back. Thank you. Thank you. If you're online praying this prayer, we're clapping for you also. And I'd love you online if you are meaning this in your heart. And those of you that have raised your hand in the room, or if you didn't quite have the courage, maybe put your hand on your heart right now online or in the room and pray this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you gave your life for me so that I can be connected to you, so that I can know your grace. I can know your love. I choose you. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to serve you all the days of my life. I come back to you. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we applaud everyone who've made that decision for Jesus today? Thank you. If you prayed that prayer, and I think there's probably many of you online for the first time or coming back, just pop your that you prayed that prayer on the chat or there's a number on the screen or you can connect on our website. We would love to call you. And those of you in the room that raised your hand or if you didn't raise your hand, but you just repeated that prayer after me and you meant it in your heart, we'll be waving these Bibles on the way out. And we'd love for you to say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Even if you already have a Bible, um, just take one because we'd love to actually connect with you and encourage you, maybe get an email and a contact number so myself, Steve, some of our team can encourage you and cheer you on during the week. Is that all right? Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.